0: Consider this. 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Are you? Don't worry. You're in the right place with this podcast, Succession Stories. Host Lori Barkman, the business transition sherpa, guides you from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. Lori is a business transition and M&A advisor, specializing in growth acquisitions and selling owner-led companies. She's also the author of the Business Transition Handbook. Get your copy and learn how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Sign up for a Business Transition newsletter at SuccessionStories.com. Show us the love by subscribing to the show and posting a review. We appreciate you. Now here's this week's Succession Stories with Lori Barkman. Welcome back to the Succession Stories podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast player and YouTube so you don't miss a future episode. If you listen to this show and enjoy it, do me a favor and leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps enable me to reach more people and help them along the way. My guest today is Jane Hansen, a nine-time Emmy Award winning correspondent. She has an amazing resume as a network co-anchor in New York and has covered events ranging from the tragedy of 9-11 to the joy of the Yankees' victory parades. She has interviewed presidents, business leaders, prisoners, and celebrities. She's currently a much sought-after communications coach, working with top-tier leaders in every field while continuing to emcee, speak, and host broadcasts. It was my honor to interview Jane and get her perspective on how leaders have tough conversations, especially when it comes to succession. At the core of everything has got to be respect. Whatever the conversation is, you need to prepare carefully. You also have to make sure that your decision is absolute. There can't be any wavering. Also hear Jane's take on the HBO show, Succession, and how she'd advise the sibling rivals if she could. Enjoy this Succession Stories episode on how to have tough succession conversations with Jane Hansen. Jane Hansen, welcome to Succession Stories. I have never had a Emmy Award winning correspondent on the show, and I'm a little intimidated, I gotta say.
1: You got one right behind you, isn't? What's that behind? Well, that
0: well, that's not an Emmy, but it is a podcast award. It is a podcast award.
1: So there you go. <laughs> as you should have. All right, um, where's
0: yours? Show me your well, Emmys. Here's,
1: here's and see, I have to get this just right. There this, it is. There's one. There it is. there's beautiful in all of its glory. You know, she's holding the world up on her in her hands. But this one, I look accidents. <laughs> so then, so, so if you're watching on YouTube. Got, you're seeing Jane holding a. A piece of the Emmy Award. Right. And so she I just need to get her resoldered on the bottom, but I haven't done it yet. She's the road to people. success is full of some potholes sometimes with that's these true. Things. That's true. <laughs> be so you can use them for a lot of different things, but I guess maybe I was just a little too unkind to this girl. So it could be a paperweight. Yeah, you that's could. true. I, you know what? Maybe that's what I'll do with it. Is I'll use it for a paperweight from now it's on. It's a beautiful paperweight.
0: It is. It's very well deserved and well earned. Nine Emmy awards, which is just incredible. Today, Thanks. we're going to talk about conversations. You are an expert in conversations. I'm grateful to be with you. I want to talk about these tough conversations as it pertains to succession, mm-hmm. because they're hard. <laughs> and they who better to talk with than someone who has? seen it all done it all i want to start with your background uh-huh. jane tell me about you how did you go from a rural upbringing to the big apple
1: well um i think i think if you read a lot of stories about people who began you know, who whose lives begin in kind of a I don't want to call it a rags to riches story because I don't. I'm waiting for the riches. But I grew up in a little tiny town in rural Minnesota. Uh, there were about 2,500 people that lived there, and most of them were related to me because my great grandparents and grandparents settled the area when they moved from Norway to uh, the United States, and they went to Minnesota. Now, why they couldn't have gone someplace that was a little warmer? I mean, clearly they weren't making it in Norway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't they have moved? They where- love the lakes. They love the weather. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We oh, really yeah. love that weather. <laughs> so my dream, from the time I was a child, was to go out and see the world. And my father, who was probably my biggest proponent, my biggest mentor, would read to me from newspapers from the time I was about four years old, and we talk about all these countries all over the world. And I thought I have to go see them, and I want to, and I want to be at the center of. What's going on globally? And so I think that is where I got this idea of becoming a journalist. And then, of course, as I grew up, broadcasting became the really big deal. And so I got a degree in broadcast journalism. My very first job was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. And um, I spent a lot of time on Indian reservations. I'm thinking I'm not very far from home, and here is where I am. I'm not quite seeing the globe yet, but. I did learn a lot about communication from the way those, you know, Native Americans communicated amongst themselves. and and, you know, they lived in some pretty harsh landscapes and that sort of thing. But at any rate, my dream was always to move to New York, which I consider to be the center of the universe. and that is truly where the center of the broadcast industry is in this country. And I told everybody I know because it's a really small industry. And I did get somebody who called me to come and do an interview at WCBS in New York. But of course, I was 21 years old and they looked at me like, who's this green kid? Forget it. But later that summer, I got a phone call from somebody at NBC and I thought it was a joke. So the guy calls me and and I said, who is this? And he said, I just told you who I am. And I hung up on him. And he called me back again and he you know, repeated the same thing. And I said, look, this isn't funny. And I hung up again. The third time he called me, he said, write my number down <laughs> and call me back. And I thought, I'm going to write this and it's going to be some friend of mine and they're going to be, you know, laughing at me. And I get WNBC TV, Ron Kershaw's office. That was the news director. And I nearly died. And oh, I said, oh, um, hi, uh, you know, my name is Jane Hansen, and his, you know, assistant, started to laugh. She was howling. And she goes, we were wondering if you'd called back. We all took bets on it. And she said, that was the best. Nobody's ever hung up on him. Not as often as you did. Nobody's ever hung on up on him, period. So he gets on the phone and he's laughing too. And he called me in for an interview and I got the job. Wow. Jay, I'm convinced it was the spot. And again, I was in my early 20s of, of saying that to somebody that got me that job. That's so, funny. Uh, That's good for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, had I known the truth, I probably would have freaked out and said the right things. And who knows where I'd be today? That's right. So I was lucky enough to get to New York at a very young age. And I watched a whole lot of history being made in front of my eyes. I traveled all over the world for NBC and I had an amazingly wonderful career. But the cornerstone to that career was not only was I just constantly meeting people everywhere, but I recognized two things. A, that at the heart and soul of every conflict and controversy that I covered, every every story was communication gone wrong. And in addition to which, I would have people come in you know, to the various shows I did. They'd get off the air and they'd say, I didn't get to tell my story. And that's because I led them down a garden path of Here's what I think is interesting to our audience. And they never once got back to why they were there, which was a horrible lost opportunity for them. For me, it was, I just wanted to make the interview interesting and exciting and engaging and all those wonderful things. And I realized I knew how to do that. And thus became my change of career and my recognition that the deadlines, sometimes the harshness of the news business, all of that. I said, it was time for change. It was time for me to make a succession move. And I did. Yeah. And
0: that takes courage. That's difficult to do after decades of experience and Mm -hmm. probably comfort because you had expertise in what you were doing. And it brought you probably a lot of pride and recognition, of course, through the Emmys and other things
1: Oh yeah. to make a
0: move like that. So I compliment you for making that move. Tell me a little bit more about that. As you transitioned from a uh, correspondent to coach, and I know we'll talk a little bit deeper about it, but just at a high level, you're working now with clients to help them improve
1: their communications, right? I am. And what I have realized is that people don't even recognize their you know so much of how we communicate and what it really how do I describe this appropriately? There's so much about it that has to do with the way we use our bodies. Because think about this, we've only had a spoken language for about 160,000 years. Before that, we communicated clearly through our bodies and we still do it today. We make instant judgments, right or wrong, and frequently they're wrong. We will make those judgments. And that colors everything we do from that moment forward in that particular moment in time. And so you have to start you have to start with that. How do we use our voice? How do we use our face? How do we, you know, especially now in this Zoom world, we've only got this much bus to work with. But in person, you know, what what are you doing and saying that is instantly going to cause more problems that you don't even realize? So there's so much to it. And then, how do you have a good conversation? Because all of life is just a conversation. The conversation you and I are having today is no different than the CEO of a major organization that is making life-changing decisions for employees. It's just not, it's all a conversation. That's right. So let's set the stage for a difficult
0: conversation. Mm-hmm. Now there's different ex- examples. We could pick a few, maybe from your experience and perhaps client experiences where there's a difficult topic we want to bring up. One scenario example would be first generation telling the second generation they're not getting the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. They're going to take a different path where we
1: are setting up an environment where we know it's bad news. Well, first of all, at the core of everything has got to be respect. Whatever the conversation is, you have to deal with the person or people you're speaking to with the utmost of respect or that conversation is going to go sideways very quickly now there might be a lot of different reasons about why you as a a dad or a mom are saying to your son or daughter you're not taking over you need to first you need to prep very carefully and i would do some role playing with that i would get somebody i trust maybe it's an advisor of some sort maybe it's your spouse maybe it's a a great friend maybe it's somebody who knows your child well i would do role-playing first and really act out the different scenarios about how they can react to it i would also make sure that you know they have very clear in your head about why it is why are they not able to take their reins? Or maybe it's because you just want to sell the whole darn thing. You want to retire. You want to take that money. And it doesn't mean they're cut out of the money, by the way. It might just mean... We're encountering a bad business climate. It's going to be too much trouble. There's too much going on right now that we are not able to wade through. Maybe the whatever the product is they're making, maybe it no longer is necessary and it requires that you got to change a whole lot of stuff. You got to rebuild your factories or or stop making the stuff in China. I don't know, whatever it is. Have your reasons very clear and very sincere. But you also have to make sure that. You're absolute in your decision. There can't be any wavering because I've seen that where, you know, the kid, will, the, the the second generation will come back and say, but you never let me try. Just let me try leading for, let's let's try it for two years. Let me try leading and then I'll go peacefully if it doesn't work. So you you've got to make sure that it's an absolute decision. And so the clearness and clarity in your own head and the succinctness with which you deliver the news has got to be paramount. This episode is sponsored by the best selling book, The Business Transition Handbook How to Avoid Succession
0: Pitfalls and Create Valuable Exit Options. Business owners will learn how to navigate the emotional and practical nature of the transition process to avoid exit regrets. It's crucial to start planning when time is on your side so you don't leave money or your happiness on the table. Reading this book, you'll have Lori Barkman, the Business Transition Sherpa, guiding you along the way. To download a free copy, head to thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com. That's thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com today. I like what you just said about having a foundation around what you want to have as an outcome and not wavering on that. Mm -hmm. Perhaps... This conversation should have a time boundary on it too, so that you have an exit <laughs> to say, We're not talking about it anymore today. That's how do you end that conversation, especially if there's a bit of a pleading of please give me another
1: chance? You well, you have to say, I've, I've thought about every avenue, I have gone through all the scenarios that are possible, and you really need to do this too, fully expecting that they're going to be very disappointed and that they're going to want to have an opportunity to do it. So I've gone through every scenario and here is where I see where it won't work. Why won't it work? And you can give them, you know, the rundown out of it. And again, you know, families are really tough because there's not just that layer of, of working together there's also that layer of the emotion the background and by the way by the way um i've done some conferences called next gen conferences put on by financial institutions where at the very heart and soul my job is to help the kids and by kids i mean the young adults ask their parents for something that they want be it a job in the company I want to be able to be, I want to be trained to take over your job. I want to start my own business. I want to go to grad school. I want to do this, whatever it is. And the kids, what they encounter is that the parents are not looking upon them as anything other than a child, even though they are grown and in their 20s or 30s at that point. And so I think for the the older generation, they've really got to look at their At their child realistically and say, Am I being fair? Am I giving them, am I still looking on them as little Johnny who was, you know, Dennis the Menace in school and I've never gotten past that? Have they proven anything that could mean maybe they deserve that chance? But you've got to figure all that ahead of time. You have to think of every scenario. There's the time and place, the
0: setting, is it in Mm -hmm. person? Are you clear on your message? And are you creating a dialogue? There's so many different factors of what you just shared, Jane. I think it's really important. I also love how you flipped the script a bit and talked about the next generation making an ask of their parents or whoever that next generation is. Sometimes it's aunts or uncles. Let's talk about that scenario. That's really interesting, too. Someone once told me, yeah, I had to fire my father. (laughs) And that was not an easy thing to do. Right. Have you had those situations where
1: there's the perceived power balance is shifting? hmm. Yes. So with the the child or the, the and I don't want to keep calling them child, but, but with that second generation, they're often a lot smarter than and a lot more resilient and maybe more thoughtful and maybe more competent than they're being given credit for. So, what I've described to what I've talked with them about, in, like in these conferences we've discussed or in private uh, sessions that I've done, I've discussed with them again, have a very clear plan. Your parents have one way that they look at you. I mean, come on, how many times have you talked to a parent and they say, My kid is a procrastinator, never gets anything done on time, or, um, you know, my kid doesn't do this or doesn't do that. And the truth may have been maybe once they were that way, but they're not any longer. And so what I say to these, this, this second generation is you need to have a clear plan. You need to create an agenda about how you're going to do this. You need to have proof of how this is gonna work. You need to create a business case If that's what, if if you wanna start a business, you need to create um, almost a resume that fits into what they're looking for for that job within the company. You need to prove your points and you need to be really smart about it and very, very spot on serious and put time and effort to, you just don't walk in the door and say, hey dad, I wanna talk to you because I want a $200,000 loan because I wanna start a little pizza place on the corner. You don't do that, you make it because there's a reason your parents have success, be it super hard work, whatever they've done to create that business that's successful they you know you, you gotta you gotta rely on those their success points and how you can build on them so that's very true that's so, very true
0: some high profile families that may have used your services, may have not. I don't know. (laughs) But let's just talk about the show Succession, shall we? Sure. Did you watch that show? Of course. If Um, you were going to pick one of the four siblings to give them advice, which
1: one would you pick? I think I'd pick all of them, but. (laughs) (laughs) As (laughs) a group or individual? um, Well, individually, I think that, you know, one of the, obviously it was, it's, it's, not very loosely, based upon the Murdoch family. And as you know, Rupert Murdoch is letting his son Lachlan take over. And there was a lot of speculation about which one of the kids was going to was gonna take it. Was it going to be the daughter Elizabeth? Um, I think there's another son named James. And now there's two other little girls, or they're probably teenagers by now. Um, I would have loved to have had um, Siobhan, Shiv, become the choice just because i think she in in the um show succession because i think she has more of her father's characteristics than anybody else she's tough when she needs to be and she's um and she's thinks very she's got a very clever mind but in her case i think she let the she she let her feelings and emotions get to get too involved so for her, my suggestion would be you're letting that thing about being the only girl, being, you know, being precious to your dad. But him not thinking about you in a way where he was really ever going to let you take control. So she had some proving to do and I don't think she did it. Um, uh, as for Roman, you know, he was the smart ass baby and he he needed to just stop being such a jackass, I think. I mean, that would he be did. my opinion.
0: <laughs> That's probably uh, as succinct as you can put it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Exactly. Stop being uh, a jackass. <laughs> yeah. And then um, um the the older son, he was just Yeah, you know, he's out. He's out completely. He never stood a chance. Never stood a chance. And he was always the comic relief character, in my opinion. Um and then um what's his name? What's the I can't think of his name right now. The other the heir apparent. Yeah. Um Anyway, he you know, he just had hit so much trouble with with addictions and not you didn't really trust who you were gonna get in any given day. So he needed to have a lot more consistency in the way he acted.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think the show was interesting because it gave us a look into these high flying lives, and we, we we know loosely it was based on the Murdochs, and yeah, the interesting news recently about Lachlan's uh, succession is is bringing it in real life, so to speak. When it comes to these tough conversations about succession, it could also be with the management team. So mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that. The insider doesn't always have to be family. It can be your trusted key lieutenant, You know, your COO, right. the, the people that have been with you for years and years, who may be expecting that you're going to sell the company to them as opposed to a third party. I just want our listeners to think about as they might have tough conversations, who these stakeholders could be.
1: There's so many. And in a show like Succession, you saw how all of those lieutenants that were around him all believed that they were going to have part of the pie, which is why it was so interesting that, um, that when he died, now all of a sudden it was everybody, every man or woman for themselves. And their agendas became so clear. Problem which is what you talk about all the time, there had been no clear lines drawn. And so everybody felt like they had a, they they could have part of it. And that's the problem.
0: Respect and trust. You mentioned respect earlier. I think trust can be lost very quickly. It's gained slowly. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to, let's call the end game, succession for some feels like the end, right? For others, it's going to be a beginning. Mm-hmm that concept of trust. Do you believe that trust can be repaired?
1: I think it takes a lot of work. I think, I believe, I don't like saying I think, I believe that trust is something that is earned slowly over time. And one thing can just set it off. One thing can happen where it's usually the result of some kind of miscommunication. And I've seen it time and time again. Trust can be repaired, but there's always going to be that little voice back here in your head going, Why are they doing that? Do they have another motive? Are they really looking out for my best interests or the company's best interests, or are they looking out for their own? And the answer, frequently after a certain period of time, could be they're looking out for their own. So I would love to be able to trust, but I think. After a time, you have to have your eyes wide open.
0: You do, you do. Let's talk about identity mm-hmm. from your own experience as a correspondent for many years now to a coach and mm-hmm. thinking about your clients and the identity shifts that they may be experiencing with the changes that they're contemplating or their organization is contemplating. How do you approach that? What advice do you have for people as they're staring
1: at the precipice of a big change? Well, uh, I also write for Forbes magazine, Forbes, the brand Forbes, is actually Forbes Digital, I should say. And my area that I write about is women and communications. And ironically, I'm in the process of doing a story right now about women who have had long-time, extremely high-level jobs, and suddenly the company was bought and they were out of work, and their identity had wrapped around that work. And I know it personally from having been at NBC for so many years, where when I would walk down the street, people would recognize me. I got the best tables in restaurants. I got tickets to anything I wanted to go to. People, stylists were, were buying to be able to dress me for my shows. I got my hair done every day. Not today. Um, (laughs) It looks lovely. (laughs) But uh, I had amazing perks. And with that identity, came i had to respect that identity and i also knew it was there because of my job and my own personal brand but i knew i had to respect it because i couldn't do crazy things or that would tarnish the company would tarnish me but when i left my job it was hard at first to understand that, that 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 was no longer my identity and i kind of went like this okay i got it But I don't think I was that smart about it. And I think I needed to to, to really look at it differently, which is something I've learned. And by the way, I also coach a lot of people with this stuff. But anyway, my point, getting back to this article. So I've been talking to women who have worked for companies for decades. And they're not ready to stop working yet, even though they probably could because they've got money saved and et cetera. Uh, And they're they're almost like deer in the headlights how am i going to how am i going to get through this what am i going to do next so in conversations with them and from my own experience i've learned a few things one your personal brand is not the company two you need to make a list of what you're really good at what are your core competencies what did you learn from that company how did you succeed for so long? What are you taking with you? Because you didn't lose that. You still have that. Number three, what, am I, what are my real passions? Because what you are passionate about is what you're going to be successful at. Number four, call people that you've worked with in the past, even people that are still at that company. You're going to be shocked at how willing they are to help you. And I I sometimes get chills when I think about this because it's happened to me. I am stunned when I reach out to somebody. and I think, oh, they're not going to want to talk to me anymore because I'm no longer, you know, at NBC. I'm no longer this big correspondent and blah, 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 an anchor. But what I found is people are more than willing to help you because you've earned their trust over all these years. And. They're maybe thinking in their head, hey, hey, that could be walking in those shoes. And 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 it, it's call on people. Don't ask them for a job, but call them and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting this business. I have this idea. Tell me what you think about it. Or maybe... You recognize as you start the business, you need um, a distributor of products or you need somebody who's really good at marketing or somebody who's super good at social media. And you know those people and you call them up and you say, this is what I need. Can you help me? I'm going to guarantee you, for the most part, you are going to be surprised at how willing people are to put their hand out to you, shake it and say, I'm in. What do you need? So there's a lot it's it's just because you you've lost this job that was your identity it's not your identity it's not who you are it was a part of who you are but there's so much more to you that's a great message i love that as we
0: wind down this conversation i want to ask you if you have a favorite quote something
1: to share that inspires i use it every day from maya angelo people will forget what you did They will forget what you said. They will never forget how you made them feel. Never more important than in today's world. After COVID, after the scariness of the economy, after the the depolarization of what's happening in this world, how you make people feel is essential to how you will live your life, how you will succeed, and how your successions will go.
0: Absolutely. I love that quote from Maya Angelou. Jane, if people want
1: to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? My website is simply janehanson.com, H A N S O N. And uh, my email is jane at janehanson.com. So there you are. Easy enough. Easy
0: enough. (laughs) Jane, thank you so much. I learned a ton from you today, and I look forward to reading your Forbes articles. They sound really on point and
1: helpful. And I appreciate you being with me. Thank you so much. I, I, I've i enjoyed it as well. Thank get, you. Go get another one of those. <laughs> I'm going
0: to go get another one of those. I need eight more.
1: <laughs> well,
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks to our listeners for joining the Succession Stories podcast today. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a future episode. And if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, do me a favor and leave me a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. It enables the show to reach more people and to help more people along the way. Join me next time on Succession Stories for more insights from transition to transaction. I hope that today's episode resonated with you. What actions will you take as a result? If you want to grow, sell, or transition your business, our strategic transition planning process provides clarity and objectivity on the big questions that may be weighing on your mind. Make an intention and take the next step. Set up a complimentary consultation with me to discuss your goals at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. That's thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com.